Greetings, everyone, and welcome to uh, a really monster-filled version of the stacks. Uh, we're, we, we've got uh, about 101 monsters for you, I believe. Yep, but we'll only be talking really about seven or eight of them, probably. But And for, yeah, for the start, just one, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, our, our first film is South Korea's first kaiju movie. Uh, I think, what was it, 1960? Uh, uh, wow, I did not write it down. <laughs> it. I think it was 67, maybe 68? 1967. 67, uh, directed by Kim Ki-duk, a very important genre filmmaker in South Korea. Uh, from uh, what I hear, from the, the description in the commentary track, I kind of get the feeling he's almost uh, South Korea's like Martin Scorsese. Just oh. a, a really important genre filmmaker doing a lot of just genre work through all sorts of different stuff. And like never pretentious, but doing, you know, respected work constantly. I want Martin Scorsese to make a kaiju film. Right? That was immediately I mean, what I would that even it, be? I don't know, but it would be cool. Uh, I mean, he would have well, yeah, to really New York. Rod, Robert De Niro. <laughs> Yeah, they'll they'll use the same same de-aging effects and have him like, you know, this sort of uncanny valley 80 year old, like a monster walking like an 80 year old guy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, our our film is Yongari, Monster from the Deep. And just for starters, from the deep. I don't know if that's a that's an accurate description. No, he's from I don't think he even really goes near the water except for the little river at the end uh, yeah i mean he he, he ends up in the water like but water uh, it doesn't appear to care about I mean, water one i'm way or pretty another. sure he emerges from the ground yeah he does uh but yeah uh weird uh Deep strange title maybe? i guess <laughs> I, I have a lot of questions about uh Yangri's origin when we get to that part of the film honestly <laughs> It should have been Yongari, this poor fucking guy. He's a sad kaiju. It's it, it, it's a very it's a very tragic kaiju story. Uh, Yongari is a victim. He, yeah, like nothing really ever goes his way. I I mean he is crazy destructive. One of the oh, more he's destructive. Super destructive, granted. though. But you know, uh, he's and, really not trying to be bad. Probably. Yeah, no, truly. He he seems less intentionally bad than Gamera. Uh, although there are a couple things, but again, we'll get there. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I first saw this through the Mystery Science Theater revival episode. Oh, I was going to check that out, but I didn't end up having time. Uh, and, and it's weird. I completely forgot that I had seen this movie through that and it, it had like completely slipped my mind. Like even when I was watching the movie uh, for the episode last week and then I went to like put in a rating for it and like, oh, yeah, I have seen this. When did I see this? And like, oh, yeah, I watched it on Mystery Science Theater. Hmm. About that. I, I did also rewatch that this afternoon. It's OK. <laughs> it's not a great episode. I guess that's why I sort of forgot it. I'm less of a fan of the latest reunion seasons. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I don't think I've seen any of the new ones. They're not bad. I, I really like Patton Oswalt in them for sure. 
Uh, and like, I don't know, they're they're okay. I, I feel like just there's a certain character that's missing. I don't know what it is. Mm. Uh, anyway, this film opens with an incredibly slow pan across <laughs> an obvious backdrop, like visible seams all the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can see it. Um, this backdrop is not an indicator of the quality of the special effects of the rest of the movie. No, I think they just ran out of money for the backdrop and were like, ah. They're kind of consistently no just bad on backdrops. I, I think the matte paintings and backdrops element was uh, an art that was not as well practiced here yet. Whereas the yeah. miniatures, they they have so much heart. They have so much charm. Uh, the miniatures are the absolute strongest element of this movie, for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, maybe the the body acting of the kaiju, I think, is pretty good. But it is. Yeah, we'll, that's we'll get into that. Um but yeah, just an incredibly slow pan. Uh, we, we really take a long stroll through the universe to get to our establishing shot of Earth. Uh, yeah, so this this movie takes place on Earth. <laughs> yep, and, and it's not because we need to show a ship crashing on Earth or anything. No. No, that's not why. And it's not because we want to show opening credits, because we aren't doing that. No, it's just an establishing shot of the planet this takes place on, Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I want every movie that's on Earth to start like that from now on. Just like every, like, like in, or in Seinfeld, every time you just show the outside of his apartment, instead it just shows planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, you got to do both. You start, yeah, you, you start with like Earth and then you can zoom into New York and then like show, you know, the diner. Yeah. Uh, so where we open is there we have these newlyweds who appear uh, appear to have been getting married at uh, space headquarters. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Right. Because, <laughs> I mean, notably, South Korea did not have a space program in this period of time at all. So uh, th this is a completely fictional place. And it's not really I don't think it has a name like they don't have yeah. a fake korean uh space program so, name there's no nasa the whole thing gave me like like basically any sciencey thing in the 60s will but the whole thing gave me like 60s batman vibes there's a lot of 60s batman feel to it it, it has well like it, it doesn't the help score the score actually kind of reminds me reminds me a lot of it oh yeah there's some really fun uh like uh garagey uh, 60s psych rock kind of sound surf rock that that part where obviously where yongri dances I, i'm like expecting him to do the batuzi right there yeah and, and that's like does yeah it's so cool and that's uh there that's a famous like an incredibly famous korean folk song but like rearranged for surf rock which rules nice nice but anyway, uh, I I do love the actual matte painting that we see of uh, the space headquarters background that they're driving away from the the newlyweds. <laughs> but they're driving on the median. Well, yeah, they're just driving straight down the middle of the road. There's like two <laughs> lanes on either side of them. Sharks. Weird. I mean, they are driving from the end of everything. I don't know why just, like, the high, four-lane highway ends in the space program. That's really strange. <laughs> that seems like well, it could invite some trouble. <laughs> well, you know. Um, 
makes the commute easier if you're working the space program. Yeah, and I, I if you work anywhere else. I don't know how many people they had working on the space program here that did uh, not exist in the country at that time, but about uh, what about like twelve? Yeah, I mean this this one astronaut seems to be really important, and I like I don't know where like so we have all the in laws together in just a driveway of a house that's like next to the space program, I guess. I have no idea what's up with any of these people or the relationship to each other or the space program. I mean, they they are introduced as being like the 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 discussion they're having is about their two families being joined. Right. But beyond that, yeah, I don't get these people. I really don't understand their motivations. They're very strange. But yeah, they they're all just kind of talking about masculinity i guess uh there's this is the first time that uh we we hear about elu uh and the sister i did not catch her name oh me neither um they're like dating i think well she doesn't sure if they are she doesn't like the, the parents seem to think they are and like they're together at this wedding but she seems to think he's not manly enough because he's a scientist and science yeah, she's, is masculine. She's not that into him. Yeah, it's weird. But the the parents are like, oh, yeah, we, we think we got to be nice to him, though, just in case he's going to be our uh, son-in-law soon. And she seems like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, and th- that's sort of a bookending story in this movie, which is just strange and it never really seems to take her into account. Yeah, no, not at all. In fact, <laughs> by the time it gets resolved, I forget that it, I forgot it was a plot. Yeah. So anyway, they're driving away and they're <laughs> they're hit with like this little spot of light and they start getting like extremely itchy. <laughs> and, and they have to like pull over the car and get out and start scratching. And here we see the real protagonist, Icho. Icho, which is funny because Icho and he has an itch-ray. <laughs> yeah, and that's absolutely not intentional, I'm sure. Which I is don't hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he has this itch-ray that he's stolen from Elu. And Elu soon catches up on the road and he's like, what the hell are you doing with my itch-ray? Or like, I don't even know what the thing's supposed to do. It was supposed to be a death ray, I think. Well, like, I think it's a stimulator ray or like a growth ray or some sort of energy ray. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is the sort of thing that you would turn into a death ray, but it just makes you itchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they they have a fun conversation at this point, uh, Ilu and Icho, um, where it's like, come on, you could have killed them. Yeah, but it was funny, though. Yeah, I guess it was. <laughs> but seriously, that death ray is experimental. And that's what I was doing. I was experimenting with it. Yeah, and he's like, okay, you're you're funny, and I get it. But look, there are possible <laughs> side effects, and it could kill these newlyweds. So, you know, just watch out. And th- this is almost a plot point, because side effects are a really important element in this movie. Side effects of chemical experimental chemicals uh, play a very significant part in this film. <laughs> poor, poor younger. <laughs> like he he dies like someone 
uh, like one of the firemen in Chernobyl. Oh my god. <laughs> that, that's kind of the end he gets. <laughs> oh. Brutal. I was uh, going to say he's like a George Costanza of kaiju, but yours is more accurate. <laughs> I mean, George Costanza doesn't die on Seinfeld as far as I recall. But if he did, it would be like that. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So we get their honeymoon where uh, the the astronaut guy is just too sleepy to get it on. <laughs> well, I, I've never been married, but I've known a lot of people who are, and that's a thing. I mean, sure, but it is the honeymoon. This was, they, they got there and he's just like staring at the backdrop that's like three feet away. <laughs> The skybox looks really weird today. <laughs> it's, None of the stars are where they're supposed to be. It it really, like, just the, the artificiality of both the space program and this weird four-lane highway that they're driving down and this surreal spot where, like, their house is next to the space program and now they're in this hotel where, like, their view is just this obvious blue square around the window. It's like... Do they live in a simulated reality? Is this the Truman Show? <laughs> I think they actually live in miniatures, like a model town. And they're, yeah. all, they're all just little tiny people. Yeah. And Hungary is just a dude in a suit. <laughs> and man, they <laughs> get him. These, these Lilliputians take him out. <laughs> oh, do they ever. <laughs> so, yeah, he's he's just like, too sleepy to get it on and i feel like maybe this is just because of the level of censorship at the time like they could not show them even kiss like when when oh, we see maybe. Them, when we see them kiss they have to turn away from the camera to do so even though they're a newlywed couple i never even thought about that but I, yeah i could see that yeah well i th i mean notably this was made when south korea was under a military dictatorship so that that is kind of coloring some of the film and it, it does make just the the whole simulated reality element of it especially weird <laughs> they, i i don't think they i don't think they thought that far but oh man i love it no. i love the interpretation yeah i mean it's it's probably not intentional but <laughs> i mean it's it's all in my mind there no, no, it's it's great because because it works with uh, the fact that there's just no people in these little mini buildings. No, but they're so beautiful. I I really love the handcrafted charm of these miniatures. Oh yeah, and like, this is where we first start to see some of them right here. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, the the uh, earthquake. Yeah, the the earthquake and then the rocket launch. Or is the rock? No, is the rocket launch before? It doesn't matter. The rocket launch is first, and yeah. and we, but we have a, I think like a few. We we might have an earthquake first because there's a couple of them. Uh, but anyway, like our astronaut is sent on his first mission, and this rocket launch is for him to spy on a nuclear test in the Middle East for some reason, and I don't oh, yeah, understand right. they how. Called him in from his honeymoon to do this. It's yeah. Like, yeah. We know you're on your space program sponsored honeymoon, but uh, please come back to uh, the space program. Which, and, like, uh, sure, I guess 
later. I mean, he was just sleeping through it anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. Uh, but to sleep. I'm, yeah, he's got to rest up for that important space program because he's got to spy by going into space. Spy on a nuclear as, test. As you do. And it's in the, the Middle East is just a strange choice, too. And also, if it's in the Middle East and they do this test, we, like we see the test and it's kind of a neat effect. They uh, blow up. I, I, maybe it's dry ice or something, but it's like it hits like a glass ceiling uh, of the the atmosphere, <laughs> I guess. Looks really cool. Mm, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, spying on a nuclear test somehow. Why? South Korea's job, man. Uh, I guess like <laughs> policing the Middle East in in terms of developing nuclear weapons. I mean, I I don't know if that was a thing at that time either in in the late sixties. Uh, and meanwhile, also we see Elu observing through a radio, I think, or or like through a spectrometer. It appears to be. I'm not sure. Like I'm, I'm not really sure how any of this exactly works, but that that is what we're seeing. Like he's looking at a spectrometer and he's uh, somehow understanding what's happening in in terms of uh, the the nuclear test and all of that. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, Which, I didn't if we understand can do that. Why do we need to send the rocket up? Man, this is this is weird. Okay, but okay, so then. So Yongari is then emerging from the Middle East somewhere. So why then does it burrow under the continent and come out of uh, South Korea? Because, <laughs> because that's where the rocket came from. And it's the no, rocket it isn't. that he's pissed off about, not the nuclear test. But why? Why? Because like, because the scientist, because the astronaut went over, because like they were know. looking at it. Why did it attack them? Because that's hmm. because Korea is the center of the planet. I, Korea does seem to be extremely central to the planet in this depiction, which is really interesting. Like it, it's it's very cool to see uh, something that's not so America centric, I guess. I mean, yeah, Buster. he would. If this were if this were made in America, he'd be burrowing out straight to the White House, even though that doesn't make any more sense. It's true. It's true. Although they probably wouldn't set the thing in the new in the Middle East because that's just strange. I don't know. Like, it's just that they set it in the Middle East is very weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. See, making making it a nuclear test in the Middle East is something. Yeah. Something you'd expect America to do in the. 90s, 90s to the early 2000s like a broken arrow type thing yeah and but, i don't yeah, get no, why this is weird how it gets from there to south korea uh but we do have we do have the capsule landing and we have that fun miniature of it uh coming to the ground which was fun oh yeah that's right and they were like worried they're like oh no what if he's gonna land in the water it's like you you want these things to land in the water that's the point yeah, that's usually the way you that's do what it. You're Splash them. Uh, no, this one actually lands really nicely. Yeah, th- this is a a much more advanced model than uh, where America was with the space program several several years later, decades. Mm-hmm. So, what is it here? 
we have just like a really long, boring military conference about the potential of the monster attack. And again, I don't understand it and I don't get why it would be coming here. Yeah, and they're like, but they've got the big red arrow that's, that's showing. That's true. It's, it's coming there. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the stats don't lie, I guess. Uh, and they, they say that the UN is sending a team of scientists for them, uh, which we never see. They They don't show up, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. But yeah, the UN scientists just are not appearing in this film. No, I mean, we assume they, they would have given the, the important feedback if it weren't for the important input of Ichu. Ichu. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean Ichu had it solved, you know? You don't need UN scientists. You just need an eight-year-old kid. They are the bane of all kaiju. Yeah, the the eight year old boy is who you need for any sort of uh, kaiju resolution. But only one eight year old boy, not just anyone. You might get Ralph Wiggum. That's true, but like there, there's always one perfect eight year old boy who will just oh he'll show up. Part. Yeah, I mean he'll be there. He will, <laughs> he will break into the friggin' United Nations with. With charts and video evidence of exactly how to kill the kaiju, and he will be ignored. Oh, and he, but he will be unstoppable. <laughs> he mm. always is. And I mean, this kid, he he was ready from the start. Like he was already living on the base. It seems like so. Like he oh, was yeah. prepped. Uh, yeah, he his whole life, like he was just waiting for this moment. It's like fuck yeah, a monster or an alien or something. My life has meaning. Yeah, my my. Uh, chipper little boy sidekick uh destiny has been fulfilled <laughs> uh so we we get yongari emerging from panmunjom uh, notably the space where the korean uh, this is the the city where uh the korean armistice was signed uh right near the northern border which never actually comes up in the film no it's it never just gets mentioned yeah, it's it's purely a symbolic thing, which is pretty interesting. And they they touch on it in the commentary track on this disc. We we were watching the Kino Larber disc, and oh yeah, I, I guess we should note this film only exists in its English language dub uh, for mm-hmm. made for TV. Uh, which, because uh, the, yeah, it was disappointing because I was looking as like oh English, I want the original Korean. There's no option. Yeah, and it, it just that's a lost film. There there is no Korean language version of it. I think there's I think a 58 minute fragment of it that exists in really poor condition. Mm. Uh but that's it. Somehow it just got totally lost uh in in the time since. And like it just was not seen in Korea until uh the aughts, I think. Oh wow. Uh, until after the 60s. Like it came out, it was a big hit, it was successful. And then it just sort of became an urban legend. <laughs> Unearthed just like Yongari was. Yeah. Uh, and so it does seem kind of like, I, I guess there wouldn't have been a lot of scholarship on it because it just was unseen. But it does certainly seem like a symbolic gesture that it's specifically where the Korean armistice was signed, that it emerges. Uh, and I feel like this is a theme in a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of Korean South Korean cinema that I've seen this sort of anxiety of the North. <laughs> it, it definitely 
So when you made when you made that uh, comparison when we were discussing in chat, it definitely made the whole movie feel a lot darker because uh, we learned that Yungari, much like Gamera, eats uh, oil and gas and fire, basically. But unlike Gamera and unlike Godzilla, there is no environmental message here. No, no, they're, they're not trying to make one at all. No, Yungri is just hungry, and and this is where he ended up attacking. Uh, and <laughs> he he attacks hard though. He does really. He's super destructive. Oh yeah, like the next probably about fifty minutes is just him destroying buildings. Everything yeah. I want in a kaiju movie, or well, in a kaiju movie that doesn't have monsters fighting. I yeah. want monsters fighting, and I want buildings being destroyed. Um, but if I can only have one, I have to have the buildings. Yeah, you got to have those glorious miniatures getting smashed. And these ones are on another level. Yeah. Oh, and also, just before he rises, there's an absolutely hilarious Jeep crash and explosion. Oh, I don't remember that. It's like there, there's a photographer who is getting the first image of Yongari. And, like, it just goes off the road, and it immediately turns into a total fireball. Oh, yeah, right. And then somehow we we cut back to base, and the photographer is just, like, covered in blood, but, like, the camera is completely pristine. And it's like, <laughs> you were in a fireball! <laughs> I, I don't understand yeah. any of this. <laughs> no humans were harmed in the making of this film. Only Yonger. <laughs> Poor Yonger, so let's talk about that suit. Yeah, the, um, I have mixed feelings about uh, about the suit and and about the the monster as a whole, really. Like in terms of his presentation. I mean, I guess for starters, certainly he's very clearly from the same people who designed Gamera. It is from the same costume designer. And he even has the same blowtorch mouth. The exact same one. Uh, and also the same sort of light-up orange eyes that Gamera had in the second film, in, in the Gamera versus Baragon. And probably in the first one, too. Like, his eyes lit up in that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, most likely. It's harder to tell because that one's in black and white. Yeah. But but beyond that, he looks like... Um, he's kind of like a skinny Godzilla, kind of. He's like a skilly, skinny Godzilla, but like what you get at a spirit halloween yeah he, he's a knockoff skinny godzilla yeah like generic giant dinosaur yeah uh, but that he, sort he, of seems fitting for yongari because he's oh, it not, super does yeah like he he isn't special like I, again this almost feels like parasite in, in a certain way i feel like it has the same sort of anxieties that it's going on yeah, like the the what the suit does have in its favor though is the guy, the person in the suit can move really well and does yeah. and they really communicate body language well. Yeah, I guess it being a much lighter suit does uh, uh allow for a lot more movement. Mhm. Like like we get we we do get uh, Yonkery fallen and can't get up scenes, but when he's up, he can. He's got full range of movement. He can dance. He can scratch. He can spin around. He's he's very agile as kaiju's go. That's true. 
Uh, so first we get the necessary mini tank versus Yongari fight, uh, which is fun. I, I always love a mini tank fight. Yeah. And then we have all the necessary evacuation scenes, uh, and we've got the various subsets of people. We've got the religious doomsayers. Uh, there's the businessmen who won't stop eating. Oh, yeah, right. Those guys. Um, there, there's the raver partiers, who I think were this, pretty much the same rave partiers in the first Gamera. Yeah, it seemed like exactly the same party. Just rock and roll teens having their fun, who obviously need to be punished by being uh, destroyed by a kaiju. Well, that's what you get for, you know... For rocking and rolling. For for fighting against the man. Oh, cat's got the zooms. <laughs> I, I've been hearing it. <laughs> uh, so I, I love all the scenes of the people evacuating and just people obviously throwing and pelting them with debris, <laughs> like styrofoam <laughs> bricks and stuff. That's really fun. Yeah. Uh, and, and they do a lot with it. They have a lot of extras and they just throw a lot of stuff at them. They have like, you know, decent sets that they're dropping things from. Yeah. Um, I would I say would... the scale issues are not so good. <laughs> yeah. There's there's one really bad one where they, like, I, I think it's a more a matter of, like, composition. Because, like, there's that one shot where they have the city and they have people running away and it looks like they're, like, 40 feet tall or something. <laughs> <laughs> in comparison yeah. to the buildings or, or there's one uh, much later on that's uh Yongari's foot on a green screen and it looks like it fits neatly into this uh, little alley oh yeah <laughs> and it's like <laughs> and it looks like Yongari's only about maybe 30 feet tall yeah it, it seems to be pretty variable depending on where they're at and what was the other thing um in terms of the scale, oh crap! I had another moment. I don't know. I, I also like all of the Dutch angles that they use. Another thing that reminds—oh yes, that was. I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot about it. But that was another thing that reminds me of Batman. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, it's it's got all those like jagged looking angles. It's like dun da da. <laughs> I'm half expecting, pow, ziff, shit. <laughs> well, this is when Yongari picks up just one dude and just tosses him back down. Like, fuck this <laughs> one guy. <laughs> fuck you particularly and nobody else. Uh, and one thing I want to say about the miniatures is not just that they look really good, but they're like designed so that they they look good destroyed, too. Yeah, it, it really works well. Uh, they're, they're just beautifully put together miniatures there's so much detail oh there's a cat <laughs> here oh man what if we had a kaiju that was just a cat i mean like we we've certainly seen images of that with like cats and train sets and stuff oh yeah one of the big buildings that yongari destroys significantly is the former japanese colonial government headquarters because uh, oh. japanese like controlled korea prior to the korean war right right so, uh, so you know. one of the big buildings he destroys i think it's the first big building he wrecks it's uh the japanese colonial government like the former building right, of that right uh, which does no longer exist mm-hmm. he he wrecks everything he's, he's going for 100 percent completion yes 
Like he he's on a, just like a huge rampage. Yeah, he came all the way to South Korea from the Middle East to destroy these buildings. Yeah, just like for some reason he's got it in for Seoul particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's headed for the South Gate, which is a really important landmark in South Korea. It's uh, described as the first national treasure of South Korea. Okay, uh, so okay. uh, they, this is when they send the helicopter guys to attract him away. Oh, uh, that, that's why they were doing that. OK, I, I actually kind of missed that. Bit. I, yeah, I totally didn't get what that was about either. Uh, I, I got it from the commentary track. It's like, oh, OK, I get it. And this part's kind of funny because it just looks like younger. He's trying to chase a carrot on a stick at this point. He just can't reach and he's trying so hard. Yeah, it's kind of adorable. And like th- that is the thing with younger is he is just an animal on the loose. There is nothing more to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he doesn't represent. He's not a god of the earth. He's not um, the harbinger of ruin. He's just a big dumb lizard he's just big and hungry and dangerous uh, and, and he's and, angry and again no no like looking at it from the point of view of this being a uh, representative of the north <laughs> it's troubling it's yeah it's especially like, oh man um well, we, I think we both got things to say about how this movie ends. Yes, certainly. <laughs> uh, it's I was troubling. I, the last few lines of the movie just completely changed the tone of the whole thing, and it's kind of amazing. They're they're very bright and chipper, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. I mean, that's a yeah, big part of it. That's that's part of it. Uh, we see a big array of rockets being readied, but uh, they're held back for quite a while. Oh, yeah, because at this point, the uh, the general wants to fire the missiles, but the prime minister is like, hey, don't fire the missiles. We've got an eight year old kid here who wants to tell us what's up. Yeah, well, uh, he isn't there no, yet. He's not there yet. He's still finding out what's up. Yeah, I think this one's more. We don't want to fire these into downtown Seoul, uh, oh, which no, you're I mean, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy is a little missile happy. The guy's super missile happy. There's always one of those. You gotta have one. You gotta have Absolutely your missile necessary. happy guide, your kaiju thing. Yeah. Uh, at this point, Icho is hiding out in the sewers. Just sometimes oh, yeah, popping out right. manholes to observe Yongri. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because uh, Ilu was all like, I'm gonna go observe Yongri. And Icho's like, I'm coming too. And Ilu's like, okay, well, you better keep up because I'm running at full grown-up sprint. And the girls are all like, what the fuck, you guys? Yep. And and we eventually get Icho watching Yonguri drinking oil, and, and just, he's really going to town on it. Okay, so here is another thing about the scale. He must be like two or three hundred feet from Yonguri, but he's still hiding behind barrels so that Yonguri can't see him in the pitch black dark. <laughs> that might be just be because he's kind of a silly little kid, but I do think it's kind of funny, like, you don't need to sneak around this guy. No, you totally don't, but you sort of do, because in reality, he's actually only about 15 feet away, and you can sort of tell. <laughs> like, yeah. the, the scale always really feels present in a weird sort of way. And and again, going back to the metaphorical underpinning, it's just like, yeah, it seems like this really big monster, but it's just this 
uh, hungry animal more than anything else. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and so, like, he sees him drinking the oil, and he shuts off the flow, so he can't drink anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, which uh, pisses off Yongri. He takes the big oil thing and throws it. Completely enrages him. Uh, and he just throws a huge fit. He explodes a whole bunch of tankers, and he just starts taking out the whole science area. Like, I don't really know what this complex is supposed to be. I, I think it's like a... Yeah, I don't really know either. Uh, but, like, ultimately, his tail ends up smashing a building which spreads this big plume of white smoke, and it seems to get him all fucked up. <laughs> he's, like, he's like bent over, spinning around. He, he's doing, like, the—I think this is Yongari meth. He, he's just, like, covered in this white powder, and he's just having a dance fit or, like, rubbing himself like he's on ecstasy. Yeah, this is this is definitely kaiju drugs of some kind. And and this is ultimately very important because Icho observing this is sort of what leads to the conclusion. And like immediately he goes back to report this all to Elu. Right. And then Elu goes to or no. Yeah, they're trying to figure out what it means, but he eventually ends up. I don't know if they do anything before, but eventually goes into the prime minister's place. Right. Because you uh, can just walk in. Yeah. Uh, well, like, first they go to the military base, because uh, this is where you get that one soldier who repeats his entire lines twice. Oh, right. <laughs> He's an NPC that had too much dialogue, so they mashed the talk button and ended up talking to him twice. It was like, what was it? Oh, something like, you can't, you are too late. The missiles are coming. We are going to shoot Yongari. Yeah, you it's something like the missiles, missiles are, are being readied. Yeah, it's weird. Just please turn just, back now. Yeah, three sentences too... repeated twice. It's weird. We're going to fire the missiles at Yongari. Please turn back now. And th this was late. like we're going to. Yeah. Th this was like uh, I I feel like this comes just from the dub and not from the original. Yeah, movie. probably. <laughs> Someone just did not know how to fill the rest of the space of that line. They're just like, I'll say it all again. And they're like, keep it in. Keep it in. <laughs> we got nothing better. So a helicopter comes to pester Yongari, of course. <laughs> just like annoy the shit out of him for some reason. Uh, he hates helicopters more than buildings. Or he's just totally fascinated by them. One of the two. Well, that could be. That It could be that. Maybe it is that. Yeah. I, and so Elu goes to the military tribunal or whatever and he's giving his plans to stop yongari which involves uh chemicals and the the missile guy is just totally not into it yeah he's like but there's no explosions this way yeah but missiles and missiles. and he's just like fine <laughs> he gets to fire his missiles after they try this yeah they, he still gets to have his missiles uh, -huh. uh so they attract Yongari first by an explosion anyways. They they explode a tanker to get him to, you know, co come drink from it, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but meanwhile, Icho goes and sneaks in and he steals the itch ray again, of course. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And, um, well, uh, sorry, go ahead. 
Well, and and then he like he shines it at Yangri, like he starts guiding Yangri to the burning tanker with the itch ray somehow. Oh yeah, right. Which makes no sense because he would need to be in a vehicle or something. I don't know. He he somehow he guides it. I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah, and it's not working the same way because it's it's just attracting him like a light here. Like maybe it has a couple different settings. It's yeah, maybe. You know, this is just the flashlight setting. Big to itch. Well, I mean, we know he isn't because it does work on him later. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hmm, it I revives him later. Yeah, which I don't know why the kid does that. Yeah, I don't know. He he seemed to be pretty well taken care of, but you know, he felt like dancing. Yeah. Uh, but so he he's guided to the burning tanker by Icho, and he inhales the flames. So we have one of those cool reverse shots of the flame coming back in. The Gamera. The Gamera. You know, Gamera loves that one. Uh, and then a helicopter uh, comes over him and drops a bunch of the same white dust that was pissing him off over at the other building. I think it's like ammonia or something. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I think they say something about what it is, some sort yeah. of chemical. Uh, and they launch the they launch the rockets, of course. Of course, and the rockets do nothing. Of course, it's it's the dust that got him. But the general's like, no, my missiles worked. Didn't need to do the other stuff. It was my missiles. Yeah, and so like he he's just knocked out. I guess he's just flat on his face out. Yeah, he is unconscious. And it starts raining, there's lightning and everything, and uh, Elu has a big breakthrough in his lab. Oh, yeah, what was what was it exactly? I never well, I, really understood what it was that they did to beat Yongari. Like, what was the shit they used? I mean, it's some sort of chemical that he has no resistance to that just gives him... <laughs> Gives him a disease and makes him die. <laughs> like, this is a movie where, like, they, they basically give him super cancer just to, like, kill him oh. off. So, I, I, I guess that's sort of the point is they, they just drop a chemical on him and he gets horrible side effects of, like, some sort of poisoning. Uh, and that's what kills him. Uh, Spoilers-ish, we're, we're pretty much in in that last area of it. So, like, he's discovered, I guess, the chemical that will do the job. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, he, he's working backwards from uh, the stuff that they used to just sort of knock him out or that was pissing him off when you know, he got it all over him. Yeah. Yeah. Because he knows, like, he's resi- he's he has problems with that. So, like, it's an amped up version of whatever that is, I guess. I guess. It's, it's, just... it's chemical warfare. It super is. Oh, my God. It's chemical warfare. Uh, but oh, so we'll get to that. <laughs> so Yangri is out cold. He's flat on his face. And Icho, of course, wakes him up with the itch ray. And he gets Why? up and they're dance to surf sense. rocks. He's, yeah, know. he starts dancing and it's like. So this is that very famous Korean folk song, uh, Arirang. Yeah, it's it's like the, the most famous song in Korea. It's well, I hadn't heard it before. Like, but it's, I was yeah, kidding. it's it's sort of like an unofficial national anthem, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's like a cool surf rock song, like arranged for surf rock. And Youngery, I guess, is supposed to be itching, but they're dancing. But he's <laughs> dancing. He's clearly he, dancing. 
He's dancing and the kids dancing with him. He's like, go, Yungari, go, Yungari, go, Yungari, Yungari, <laughs> rap, Yungari, Yungari, rap. If this were made in the 90s, like if this were made circa 1991 instead of circa 1967, he definitely would have had hammer pants. Oh, yeah. And vanilla ice would be there. <laughs> so we hammer see young pants made out of a tarp. Yeah, sure. I mean, like you, you wouldn't you could just put him in normal hammer pants because he's a slave <laughs> Godzilla. <laughs> and the pants are so big. They'd fit. Uh, so Yongari battles some more troops, of course. We we get a bunch more military models. I would say the military models do look notably a step below what we would see in a typical Gamera or Godzilla. Yeah, but, you know, the buildings were so good, I don't care. I agree. I totally agree the buildings are just so much more charming. It, but, like, it is notable when you see some of those things, and especially the backdrops. Like, when you see the small town... The backdrops are just like a foot away and it's just like a hill, like a gray hill drawn on a, against the sort of bluish sky. Yeah. And it's really but, obvious. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what? It's OK. It's OK it's because okay. you're looking at the miniatures that look so cool. Mm hmm. Uh, at, at this point, we see the the. the thing that Yongri can only do just this one time where he shoots a laser out of his horn. Oh, he actually does do it twice. Oh, first, he does. First on the Jeep, and later on he does it on an airplane. Okay. And that's it. He could have done it on the helicopter at the end, and he'd just win. Yeah, it's a very powerful attack. Uh, I'm surprised he uses it so few times. I guess it must take a lot of energy, question mark? I don't know. I don't know. You never learn a whole lot about poor Yongari. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Uh, but there is a really fun part where he table flips a raised freeway. <laughs> yes. I think that was also really cool. Yeah. The way he the way he smashes buildings is really just more like smacking them. Like, I hate this building. Fuck you, building. He, like, he's, he's not really like, aggrieved. He's not like a monster, like raw, destroying buildings. More like slap. Fuck you, building. Yeah, it's like he's an annoyed monster. <laughs> he's just not in a good mood. Everything's nope. not. Everything's just going bad today. Uh, well, it's about to get worse. <laughs> it's gonna get a whole lot worse. And and first, I I would also call out how great the amount of fireworks are in in oh, terms yeah. of attack here, because this is where we have the big jet attack on Yongri, where he even catches on fire a little bit. Yeah, like the suit is actually on fire for <laughs> for a bit. Just like a really all-out jet attack. It's quite impressive. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, our main cast just all get together in a helicopter and grinning drop chemicals on Hungary. Yeah, yeah. This this takes quite a while. It takes a long time for them to to knock him out this way. He He takes out a bridge. Um, but eventually he stumbles and then he well, falls down. Well, like first, as soon as they drop it on him, he falls over and it's like, whoa, he's really fucked up by that. And like, it, it keeps cutting back to all of them in the helicopter, kind of laughing and joking, except for a little bit where Icho, after they've already done it, uh, where oh, Icho's yeah, like, he's... 
Oh, do we really have to kill Yongri? We danced earlier. He seemed like a nice guy. And, like, no one even responds to him. He just keeps talking himself into I mean, I guess he does have to die. I mean, really, yeah, no, he has to die because, you know, we can't just let him live. Yeah, so. (laughs) He comes around to it himself. (laughs) And then we cut to Yongri in the river. Well, (laughs) So he he gets into a lake, he smashes a bridge, just one last thing to destroy. And he's just like writhing in agony and he falls over on his side and he's like half in the water and half out. Yeah, he can't get out. (laughs) And and then he stops moving. He stops moving and it cuts to like his bottom half in the water. And I can't see, even believe this is happening. But We see blood come out of his anus. He, <laughs> he falls over and bleeds ass. out the anus and dies in a he, river. He dies in he dies the gutter. equivalent of a ditch. It's, it's a kaiju gutter. Bleeding out of his asshole from... From Yongari meth. From no, they, they dropped chemicals on him. They and dropped made, chemicals on him and from this, a helicopter and laughed at him while he died. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't even like the the craziest part. <laughs> even though, even though, every time I think about this scene of the blood coming out of his ass, I just I just laugh and I'm like, this poor fucking thing. It's so astonishing. Like, I just cannot believe that they did this. <laughs> like, just, just imagine if they did that to Godzilla. They just oh, man. stuck a bunch of powder in his face and then Godzilla shits <laughs> himself to death. Like, there would be, there wouldn't be a Godzilla too. No, no, there definitely would not be. Like, Yongari too. Yongari, isn't that the guy who shat himself to death? I don't yeah. want to see this movie. <laughs> How's he like, come back after that? Well, maybe it would be Yongari's revenge. <laughs> I mean, like, jeez. How undignified. The least dignified kaiju death in history. That's that's why I think he's like the George Costanza of kaiju. Yeah, I suppose so. He is super yeah. undignified. Or, or uh, maybe the Rodney Dangerfield. He gets yeah, no respect. He really gets zero respect. Uh, so we conclude with a great big formal ceremony uh, where they're talking about... They're, they're first talking to Elu, and he's like, no, no, I didn't think of any of it. It, it was all Icho. And so Icho gets a little press conference to conclude the film. And he's, uh, he's, like, he's like, I got two wishes. One, I wish that Elu and my sister would get married, even though she's not into him. But it's on national TV, so now they have to. I'm a shitty kid. Suck it, guys. Okay, so, like, that's super weird on so many levels. Why does he even have opinions about his sister getting married? Yeah, I mean, right now, that'd be, like, kind of the furthest thing from his mind. But Yongri is just another thing that happens to these to this kid. <laughs> Because his second wish is, I know Yongri had to die. He really did, because he got in the way. But it'd be nice if he didn't have to die, because he danced. He was he was a person just by a, just like us. But you know, 
he had he to did. die, or the gas prices would go up. Yeah, I mean, it's too bad Yongri had to die, but listen, he had to, so tough. The end. <laughs> like, no, no, but not like tough, like, <laughs> yeah, but he had to, so it's okay. It's yeah, it's so like cheerful. The, the incredibly chipper, it's like, well, it's too bad Yongri had to die, but he did. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. I was kind of friends with this guy, but, you know. But but then we, we gave him ultra cancer and he died. We're, we're sorry, but uh, it's just the way it had to go. Not that sorry. And so, again, in in light of the larger concept uh, and the, the representation of the North, yeah, it's incredibly dark. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I, I don't know how much I want to go into this because I don't really know the whole no a no, lot totally. about the relationship between north and south korea until like say the 90s and most of what right. i know came from team america world police so i Oof. probably should actually <laughs> shut my mouth <laughs> but yeah there, there definitely does seem to be sort of a, a political element here that's uh really strange and it sort of does feel echoed in a lot of modern stuff because this does have sort of that weird dark comic feel of parasite too like there's a lineage kind of the message i got from this is look we know that the north koreans are people they like the same things we do they like dancing you know when they're allowed to yeah, but that's a whole different thing. But if they come over on our side, we have to kill them or the gas prices will go up. <laughs> I mean, like they, they can't we, we can't, can't handle them. Al- we can't we there can't be allowed to come over here. We, and that's kind of the message that I get. Well, and certainly this being produced under a military dictatorship, that, that kind of does certainly uh, feel accurate to, to a certain extent that like it would be especially militarized in that sense. But yeah, it's it's incredibly dark ending for what's a very silly kaiju movie. Like this is this is a weird movie. And that last like the last ten minutes of it, Yagari's death and everybody's reaction to it just changes the whole thing. And just <laughs> It's surreal. Like it's it's such a strange ending because it's it's not like it is incredibly dark, but it's not played as dark in the least oh no this is like a super happy ending i mean people even get married into their loveless marriage that's going to be great yeah they well i mean they stop the monster so uh it's a happy ending uh (laughs) but like wow it's weird because the monster didn't seem to be that much of a monster i mean the monster was causing problems i admit the monster was definitely a problem that needed to be dealt with uh but it wasn't evil and the way it was dealt with was, whoo, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very practical. It feels like it's the sort of ending that could be done to any kaiju, but it's just such a cruel and unpleasant way for them to go. Like, yeah, um, I mean, it's I just fascinating. Kaiju movies would be big if they all died like this. No. <laughs> It's very, very bleak. All right, so any final thoughts on Yongri? Um, oh, yeah. Yongri is the rejected by Don Hertzfeld of Kaijus. Yeah, it does have kind of that feeling. Like, not just because he 
beats to death out of his anus, but just the whole weird, surreal, like, what are you really trying to say feel of it? Because you gotta, like, you gotta kind of figure it out because it's not the environmental angle that you think. And I don't know if we got it right or not, but... No, I have no idea. There's definitely something there. And as well, just this weird constructed reality that everything fits into. Just the that honeymoon in a box really sticks out to me. (laughs) I I cannot believe just him sitting on that veranda looking (laughs) where and and like that backdrop is not even a foot away from the from the sun deck. Like it's right there. (laughs) You see the shadows on it. And it's like It feels so weird. <laughs> yeah, this I is mean, uh... overall. I kind of would say it's kind of something I recommend seeing just because it's so strange. I definitely recommend it to anybody who loves kaiju films. Will anyone else get anything out of it? I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like it's it's a very unusual film. It feels weird. It has such a strange tone. Uh, so but great destroying buildings, though. Great buildings. I really love the miniatures so much. They're beautiful. Uh, so that is replaced in the stacks with uh, Joe versus the Volcano. Classic Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan romantic comedy. I think I've seen that, but I was too young to know anything. Uh, that's the funny one where Tom Hanks is dying of a terminal disease. Okay. <laughs> he, uh, he he has a terminal disease from being exposed to radiation and he's going to go jump in a volcano. Uh, but then he has a romantic comedy adventure with Meg Ryan, of course. Oh, of course. I, I have not seen it since my childhood. I watched it quite a bit as a kid. It was one of those TV just constants. It was it was always on on afternoons. I, I remember you know, that's totally probably my it. only experience with it, too. Yeah, me too. Uh, but yeah, I, I've been meaning to rewatch it forever. There's one scene in it where Tom Hanks buys luggage, and I've watched that scene a few times because it's totally incredible. The luggage salesman is just just fascinating single one-off character. Uh, I do love when you have like a good one-off character. He's only in one scene, and it's just it's, – but it's their scene. He just I sells the hell out of that luggage. Uh, so, yeah, that is that is what replaces Younger in the Stacks. Uh, all right, uh, we'll head on into part two, unless there's any last bits. No, let's just leave this poor, poor Youngery um, to rest in as much peace as he's able to. Uh, yes, Youngery, rest in peace. And we are back with part two, where we're discussing the rest of the monsters. Uh, a hundred of them, a hundred monsters. The first monster is made of hay. The second monster isn't a... No, uh, <laughs> we, we're not really going to discuss all 100 monsters. Um, we don't they... really even honestly get all hundred monsters. No. Well, the we better sort name of do. For this movie, we, we do and we don't. I think a better name for this movie would be Five Monsters in a Shady Land Deal. <laughs> yeah, it's a real shady land deal. It, it, it's kind of slum clearance. There, there's a lot of uh, landlord shit here. A lot of landlord shit. Um, I found myself like forgetting I was watching a monster movie and thinking I was watching like 
a generic samurai film for for a bunch of it. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of a lot of stretches with no monsters and like the first hour of this movie is sadly monster light. Like we do have a few. I, I'd we say there's we, we were talking about it just before we were recording and we, we were thinking that there's roughly maybe five or six that we see prior to the first hour and then, like the last twenty minutes, we get a hundred monsters. We get probably we probably do get a hundred monsters. They're all there, and I just wish they were a little more evenly distributed, or well, that we got more stories of them. We get that yeah, one story, see, get, and it's great. We get one story. Um, well, we get the opening, which is its own story, and then we get True. another story, but most of it is just. The the uh, shady landlords dealing with the fallout of the one story that the shady landlords paid some guy to tell just so they could. Landlords? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> these it's guys real... are jerks. Yeah, they're, they're just trying to evict these people. That's the whole movie. They want to evict these people from this tenement and temple that they want to tear down. Uh, and I mentioned last week or the week before that. I think maybe the movie Batteries Not Included is like loosely based on this or based on oh, wow. the, this concept. It, I like I don't know if it is, but it's kind of the same storyline. It's the these uh, alien robots that help a bunch of people out in a tenement that is being closed down, and they have like a restaurant on the bottom floor. I don't know. It, it's immediately where my mind went. I kind of feel like that might be an intentional riff on this. I wonder. Um, yeah, so we begin with the first, I guess, story. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a dude walking in the weeds. He's lost and sees a scary eyeball that it yep. turns out is a Bigfoot Cyclops made out of hay. Uh, this thing is called a Suchi Korobi, and it's basically a straw bale Bigfoot that, as far as I can tell, only wants to give you a hug. Seems really cute. Yeah, the guy hugs survived and was telling people about it. Yeah, he was just really frightened because it was big and hairy. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he gave him a hug, so he he assumed it was going to eat him, and fair enough. But But yeah, it, it seems like a where the wild things are monster. Kind of. So we learned that this is a like some kind of a tradition they call it the hundred stories and every time uh you tell one of your monster stories uh, you put out a candle and then you have to do this ceremony so that you don't get cursed after hearing about all these monsters or um, it's the, the curse of the hundred stories yeah yeah or something yeah. um kind of gives me an are you afraid of the dark vibe totally so i was i was really hoping that we would just get like people taking turns telling their monster stories yeah, and I kind of would have preferred that. Like, I would have kind of preferred if uh, there was much less of the tenement story. Like, oh, you know, the tenement story is the fine whole as a background. Thing. I know, yeah. and it, like, it can be a background. It did just didn't no, need to it be been so a constantly relitigated. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm. It's like I get it. There are politics about land. <laughs> like, I understand. Yeah. Well, I, I think the one group might even be a yak as a group, just yes. without saying it. Oh yeah, I mean, like they go to bust the place up at the end. <laughs> no fool. Oh, at the beginning, they are determined to get rid of this affordable housing. 
Yeah, that that is the whole thing. Yeah, that's that's what this movie's really about. Well, um, I mean, it literally is what this movie really is about for almost yeah. sixty minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, they they were telling the story about uh, the hay bale cyclops friend. Yeah. Um, in the shrine uh, of this town or whatever, mm-hmm. and then it turns out. And, and, you know, they're doing their hundred stories thing and then they put out the last candle and do the ceremony properly. Yeah. Uh, this, which is a huge plot point. Extremely uh, important. Yeah. So the next day we find out this guy called Tajimaya, uh, who is, I guess, the local landlord or whatever, wants to tear down the shrine and the tenement house to build a brothel. Yeah. And he's already got like thugs on the go. It's like, oh, by the way, he owns the land now, and we're tearing it down now, and you got to leave now. It's like, what? Do he I get not... twenty-four hours notice? Do I get twenty-four minutes notice? No, <laughs> you don't. Go. He is not subtly a bad guy. <laughs> oh no, this guy is pure. This guy is evil. Yeah, he he's like, this is a bad landlord, or maybe arguably the point being, landlords are bad. <laughs> Let us fight them with monsters. Yeah, but because the movie aren't does, even the ones fighting him. He he brings true. the monsters on himself. He brings the monsters upon himself through his negligence, which is also the way he is negligent of people. It's not even negligence; it's pure arrogance. He's basically oh, yeah. like he is. Well, we'll get is to just it. Just a dickwad. Mm-hmm. So we have our arguably our hero. I wrote down his name somewhere, but I can't remember. Yasu. Yasutaro is a art as close to a hero as we get in this. He's our samurai resident masterless samurai who's staying in the town. Yeah. uh, Happens to be staying in the tenement house. So, you know, he's, he's got it in his head to do the whole Zatoichi plot while all this is going on. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I mean, most of the movie is kind of closer to a Zatoichi plot than it is to, a monster movie like oh, we, yeah, we kind of have people telling some monster stories but it's light on actual yeah monsters yeah it, it's a Zatoichi plot that has monsters in the background because even when monsters do appear at first they don't even do anything right and so, i like i don't know if we we confirmed and i guess we'll get to it a little bit later but scary pond is it a yokai i'm saying yes okay i'm saying scary pond is a yokai Okay, we'll, um, we'll get to that. Then. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Tachimaya has a kid named Shinkichi, who is a man baby. Yeah, um, oh boy, weird yeah. character. Very yeah, strange. Weird guy. He, he is like a grown man who acts like a five-year-old kid. Uh, this is where we're meeting our villains. We've got Tachiyama, who is the landlord who's uh, getting together with Magistrate Buzen, um who to tear down their shrine uh because you know to make the brothel make a lot of money yeah, plot. I mean, you, you know this plot yeah of course and shinkichi kind of reminds me like he's a lot like the guy who is just constantly running around the house in uh zatoichi the oh, blind swordsman it's sort of a tradition a lot like that a yeah there, like there's a that. lot of characters like this that i've seen in japanese movies uh kurosawa's which is the uh, uh, Dodeska Den. I mean, the title comes from a, a guy like this. That's like his saying. 
Oh. Yeah, it's it's a whole tradition in Japanese cinema, and it, I, I guess it's kind of not dissimilar to like an I am Sam sort of character. It's just it's just a pure comedic character, and it's not really ever uh, treated in a dramatic way. Yeah, um, then that's definitely what this kid is. Yeah, uh, and he becomes completely obsessed with the umbrella yokai. <laughs> so obsessed so obsessed like so, he's so obsessed that it manifests to lick him <laughs> yeah uh literally <laughs> we'll, we'll have questions about that <laughs> but uh so now we learned that the the guy who takes care of the shrine uh died from trying to confront the thugs who were tearing it down yeah. And meanwhile, Tajiyama is throwing a party for all the capitalists who are going to – all the shareholders, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and Lord Buzen. And in this party, he yeah, – Yeah, follow uh, the money. The, the, these, are the, this is, uh, these are all the bad guys. And our samurai who just showed up in there, and he's just right. you know, he's, in there. He, you got to have a good guy to observe the bad guys being bad. Yeah. But so – uh, it's like a super rich person party. Like, hey, look at all this money I throw around. I yeah. hired these guys to tell this fancy, spooky ghost story, uh, where they're even setting up like special backdrops and candles and shit. And then I'm just gonna tell their spooky magic to fuck off at the end. That's how. Th- this is a dick swinging party. Yeah, and it sucks so much because I wish the whole movie was just them hearing the stories. Yeah, because we have. Because we get that. We have uh, the old storyteller come in, set the mood, and then he starts telling the story about a place just like this. <laughs> shitty capitalist just like you. Ruining a land just like that shrine over there. Um, He's laying it on thick. Yeah, but, but what actually happens is the yada yada to the last story. Yeah, where these two idiots are fishing, where there's a sign that says no fishing allowed. Right. And a monk, an old monk is like, hey, you guys can't be fishing there. There's a sign and you're going to get cursed. And the guys are like, dude, whatever, man, we want fish. Who cares if we get cursed? I think getting cursed would be hilarious. Lol. your curse, you jerk. Screw you, monk. And they run him off. Yeah, yeah. And then they catch a rubber carp. Yeah, very, a, very fakey. <laughs> and the spooky voice is like, put it back. Or no, leave it. <laughs> leave it. And it's like, no way, dude. This is my rubber carp. Yeah, well, like, first he thinks it's the other guy saying it. Like, that could be possibly the other guy saying it. Yeah, yeah. And But then they determine that it's neither of them saying it, and the voice is still going. So they're scared. And they're still, they're still like, well, no, we're still not leaving it scary voice. It's like, okay, well, we've established that it's an actual scary voice, but this is our rubber carp, so fuck you. Very important. Yeah. So the then a big storm happens. Uh, they take the rubber carp back to, I guess, the one dude's wife. Um, he's a dick because these guys are always dicks to their wives. Oh, yeah. They get drunk off sake, and she is slicing up the rubber carp to very yummy-looking yet bloody sushi. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's 
it's strange it's, looking. Yeah, um, necessarily, because <laughs> the blood from the fish won't come off of her hands. Which is kind of cool. It's kind of neat. Yep, yep. So the dude, uh, the one, the dude's like, hey, wench, get me more sake. And the other guy's like, yo, I'll, I'll just go get it. She's got all that blood on her hands, remember? Uh, yeah, whatever. So the guy goes and sees where she's like trying to scrub the blood off of her hands. And then suddenly she's got like a big, long, snaky neck. So cool. It's so cool. Um, it turns around and, and... And like also she's... Her her whole neck and head have like a powdery white uh, coat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, she's a, a snaky ghost lady. The neck lady. Yeah. And then basically he blinks and then she's back to normal and is like, psych! And then she just grows a snake head again. Yeah, and, and like, like double psych. With it. <laughs> yeah, she strangles him with it. Um, I have written in my notes totally they die rad. from scared. Yeah, uh, I I think the the other person dies of fright or something. Yeah, but and... I love this. This is so cool. Just the story. Oh, yeah. I I love the execution. Uh, it's the the neck. Uh, the like the big tentacle neck is really super well executed. Mm-hmm. Like there's this one part where you see it, like she's behind a paper wall and you see the neck through the shadow, but like it's just her head there, and it's like, oh man, they didn't even need to make a prosthetic for that, and it still looks cool. It looks so cool. And, and the like story's not even out. not even done yet. Because yeah. um, we cut back to the monk with this told you so look on his face. And the the wife who had turned into a snake, uh, remember, she was snake lady, <laughs> goes over to the monk is like, have you seen my dumbass husband and his dumbass friend? Oh, yeah, they were fishing where they weren't supposed to. Oh, well, they never came home. And it's like, uh, yeah, they did. And you turned into a snake and ate them. Or did you? And we find the two people had been struck by lightning in the field and never got home. And the whole thing with the snake was, was that real? I was say the point of the ghost story. Real. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like that, that's a ghost story is they, they have to have some sort of earthly explanation somewhere, but we know the ghosts did it. Yeah. So, or the yokai. In this the case. yokai did it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that was the last of the hundred stories. They must have been there for hours. Yeah. And, and I wish we could have seen more of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even like if the whole movie was like maybe four of these stories and then the resolution of the uh, landlord bullshit, that would have been that's the movie I wanted to watch. Absolutely. Because like I get that there it, it sort of increases the stakes over time, but we didn't really need it. We we sort of have the very basic setup of the unbelievably evil asshole of a landlord. And we have these kind and normal people, many of them just elderly and just needing a place to stay who live in this building. Uh-huh. Like the stakes are already perfectly clear. We could have just enjoyed spending some time with these stories for a bit and these beautifully designed yokai. Oh yeah. They're, they're great. They're so um, cool. And we do get so many of them, and I want to know so much more about all of them. Oh, yeah, we don't learn shit about most of these. 
this is like the only story we get. Yeah, we don't even really learn about the uh, the umbrella dude. No, we just see a lot of him because he he's yeah. he's beloved by the man boy. Yeah. So um, so at this point, uh, that's it. The uh, the thing is over. The storyteller's like now. We must do the ritual to uh, get rid of the curse of the hundred stories. And Tajiyama, I think this was his plan from the get-go. Was like, I'm Tajiyama. I don't need to do a ritual to stop a curse. I'm better than curses because I have money. And to prove it, here, here's a bunch of money to all my shareholders. You don't have to do the ritual either. We're better than that. We have money. Make it rain. Make it rain. Make it rain. Make it rain. And and the old man is like, huh. Your funeral, buddy. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, this is this is what you're gonna do instead of just putting out a candle. All right, dude. All yeah. Right. Well, I'm just gonna go home and do my own ritual and see you guys on the other side. Like, sucks to you guys. Uh, and I believe this is where first we get the spooky pond. Um. Yeah, because the spooky pond looks exactly like the one from the story. Uh oh no no we don't get the spooky pond yet. Uh, our samurai dude is found out and manages to escape. It's not really much of a thing. Right. Uh, we do get spooky pond as the uh, as the shareholders are leaving the shareholder meeting. Yeah. And they're, one of they're them cutting through the forest. Yeah, and one of them's just like they hear this voice like leave it leave it. But it's Shinkichi. It's it's the kid boy. Right, right. He's he's just messing with them. Uh, yeah. But like, I I they they run into the pool and it's like the the pool wants the money that they took. Oh yeah, that that's the next that's the next group of people because we get to another group of people and they hear leave it, but like the actual spooky voice. Right. And the one dude's lantern like. It doesn't even like it turns into a flying lantern yokai monster with one eye and a fire mouth. And he's only on the screen for like 10 seconds, but it's so cool. So cool. I want more of him. Yeah. And, and he's flying around and shooting his fire. And, and we've got this little like flaming will of the wisp thing going around. And these guys are spooked. They drop all their money, which just slides into the pond. Like The <laughs> pond is pulling it in. Like, like yeah, with uh, a little magnet. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the pond is either a yokai or it's a yokai home. Yeah, I'm not one sure. The, I, one or the other. I, I kind of do read it as its own yokai because it has a voice. It does seem to be its own distinct entity and it doesn't seem to be connected to a specific yokai. I don't know. Yeah. Because maybe yeah. there's a specific, maybe there's a yokai that exists under the water that perhaps will be introduced in the sequels. Maybe, maybe. Um, we, I'm hoping that we learn more about the yokai in the sequels. Oh, I really Maybe. hope so, because, uh, yeah. So let's see, what do we got? So now we've got more... Oh, the guy who owned the tenement house, who owes Tajiyama 30 gold pieces, is trying to beg for him to not tear it down. And Tajiyama's like, let me own your daughter. <laughs> yeah, and the guy's like, what? Messed up. Yeah, just give her to me. Just let me own her. Like, I'll, make her my I'll, property. I'll just It'll take be... her back with me and we're square. And and it's like, you got you got until the evening to decide. Yeah. So, uh, 
we cut to Shikichi, who has... He's been, he's been uh, drawing the umbrella guy all over the walls. Drawing the umbrella guy all over the walls, and he's his drawing is kind of adorable. They're good. It looks like a cute... It's a really cute little thing. Like, I, I hate these umbrella guys in uh, the video game Neo. They're so annoying. They use paralysis attacks. But this one's kind of a, kind of adorable. It's... Uh, I adorable creepy question mark like when we when we actually see it and it comes out and it has the big lolling tongue and stuff it's kind of creepy (laughs) it is kind of creepy but it's in that kind of like muppety way that's true like like a a jim henson creepy yeah they do have kind of a proto labyrinth sort of quality that's true it well the end sequences really reminded me of labyrinth even though i haven't seen that since i was a kid yeah, absolutely. Like uh, both Labyrinth and um, oh, the the other one. Oh my God, Dark Crystal. Uh, oh, I never it, saw that one. They they both have a very similar energy, uh, but yeah, it's it's got a very similar style to those in terms of just the, and and I guess that's what makes the monsters so lovable. Like I really like mm-hmm. them. They're even they're very attractive they're, designs. Even though they're like horrible monsters. But they're a vengeful curse, and they're getting the bad guys. Oh, yeah. No, it's fine. And the thing about yokai is some are good, some are evil, some are little shits. Some are – most of them are just like like fey folk. Their ways are unknowable, and you're better off just not getting involved. Yeah, household demons. Uh, And, like, definitely the umbrella guy seems to fall in the little shit category. Yeah, yeah, I don't think the umbrella guy is pretty harmless. Um, the one of the drawings like come animates itself and comes to life, a la Who Framed Roger Rabbit, before turning into. I really like this design for the umbrella guy. It's got like a cute face and a single eye, and a huge tongue, weird huge tongue, a weirdly human-looking leg. Yeah, just one. And, and it appears to be trying to seduce Shinkichi, who thinks it's just playing like a dog. Um, I don't know. This scene is weird. I don't. <laughs> I don't know strange. who's playing and who wants to fuck, or if everybody's playing, or if everyone wants to. This is weird because it, everyone's having a really good time, but for potentially different reasons. Because the body language of the umbrella really makes it look like he is trying to seduce this kid well it's it's perhaps because he's constantly trying to lick him that's probably it but and like if it were a dog that wouldn't seem quite so weird but because it's just a a man's leg with the mouth (laughs) umbrella head it's really creepy (laughs) like it's it's so cool looking but like there's something weird and uncanny about it it's like i don't like that it's trying to lick the boy so much (laughs) yeah yeah. Um, back to our boring humans. Oh, there's so many uh, boring humans. Uh, Hundred boring see. humans. Oh yeah, nobody <laughs> believes Shinkichi about the umbrella monster because, no. of course, they don't. Uh, so let's to, see. To be fair, Shinkichi has not proven to be the most reliable. Oh no, not at all. Which is why the monster would appear to him first. Yeah. Uh, let's see what happens with the boring humans. Samurai gets jumped. Um, escapes takes some money gives it to the lady to pay the guy's debt so that taji tammy tajimaya won't 
uh, bulldoze the house. Right. So, so the guy, um, Jinbei, is the, I guess, the owner of the house and the shrine, goes to Tajimaya and is like, hey, here's my debt so you can, uh, you don't have to bulldoze the house, right? And Tajimaya's like, yeah, but I really want to, though. He's like, listen, I I feel like, you I've know. I've already talked to the crew. Yeah, I mean, all of that. It was just a pretext. Me, you getting the money to me. I mean, I was already going to do it anyways, dude. It's it's the Ozymandias speech. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I did it an hour ago, bro. <laughs> it's like, dude, I already, like, I already paid the union. If if I don't do the job, I still got to pay them. And uh, sucks to you, dude. Sucks to you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so then as Jinbei leaves, he gets knifed at the street. Yeah. And then they go to investigate and Tajimaya's like, nope, Jinbei never came here. Certainly never uh, gave me 30 bucks. And I certainly didn't laugh at him. No. And then. Which is uh, like, again weird it's like this portion feels sort of strangely out of place in the rest of this sort of light monster movie i well yeah i mean it's big karmic retribution and everything but like they it's out of place in terms of the monsters like but it's perfectly in line with the landlord plot Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. I, it's just like they, they ice cold murder this guy in what kind of feels like it's sort of a children's movie in a lot of aspects. Mm, yeah, I kind mean, of, I guess. It's, it's a little too boring in terms of all of the human <laughs> yeah. drama to be a children's movie. Yeah. And not to like speak ill of the movie because I do like it. I, 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 I really like enjoyed it. Too, but but it's it, just, it definitely it's, needed more monsters. It's not the movie than I wanted it to be, and that it was yeah. setting itself up to be. And the movie uh, it could have been, because we see that they have a lot of great monster designs. Oh, yeah. Um, that I could have stood to look at a whole lot more. Oh, yeah, you can't, you, you don't get none of, you don't get none of that. No. So, the waters in the Yokai Pond uh, just start churning and basically spit out the body of Jinbei. Yeah. And, but so we cut back to the house where the thugs are like, well, time to dare tear down the house. And the people inside are like, dude, our dad just died. And the thugs are like, yeah, we know we killed him. LOL. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, duh. Uh, and now we're going to bust up your house and break your fucking shrine first. So, so Jinbei daughter is like, well, okay. Um, he didn't get to give Tajiyama the money. So I'll do the other thing that'll make Tajiyama leave us alone. And I'll, become his personal slave <laughs> and Tajiyama's like lol I would still demolish your house and you're still a slave yeah he's like well I, okay I'll take you but listen I already paid these dudes and they're just like, rare I, to I break told shit you guys, I'm destroying the house and that's happening but you're still my slave yeah just tremendously evil man oh yeah um, so he gives he gives the girl to the magistrate uh, Buzen, who is the real the, the the boss of the evil boss. Yeah. And uh, we've got like a little small fight between the angry mob versus the goons, where the goons win. Uh, Samurai barges in to stop the the uh, magistrate from raping the girl. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, back to monsters. We cut back to the monsters trying to destroy the house, and there's a green sun in the sky. Super so this cool. one guy is like, dude, don't worry, I'll take out the sun. And he throws a spear at it, which gets sucked into the sun, spins around, and comes back out, stabbing the guy in the chest. Super and the rad. Sky, and then the sky goes all red. And the leader of the thugs is like, look, I know that we're cursed, but it's really, really important that we uh, kick these lower income piece pull out of their ramshackle uh, little uh, building thing. And and also just even more important that we destroy this church. So let's let's just hit that up first. Let's just. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This thing up. Um, yeah. Yeah. Got to Got to destroy all that shit. But then. Um, oh, here's my here's where my notes got a little fucked up. It's like I just put no face man exclamation mark flying umbrella storm exclamation mark. Oh, shit. Did they go to curse land? So let's see what the what I think that meant. Well, basically, they did go to Curseland, and this is where it's just all the monsters. Just suddenly, we're at the breaking point, and suddenly we get the deluge of monsters we've been waiting for. Not quite yet. Um, we just get the leader of the thugs has all of his men turn into no-face men that are just mm. exactly what they sound. They're people without right. faces. Yeah. Um, then we cut back to Shinkichi dancing with the umbrellas and Tajibaya like, and he's like laughing and having a party with them. And we see Tajibaya walk by. He's like, whatever, stupid kid. (laughs) And then we see many umbrellas. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of them that he's dancing with. We, We see just shadows of them all dancing with him. Yeah. And then I just, I guess somebody like one of the, so somebody, I guess, encounters Shinkichi and is going off about the no-face men, and Shinkichi's like, no-face? Like this? Oh, yeah, and so then creepy. he turns into a no-face. Yeah, but he can just do that. Yeah. Or that was never him to be... It's not clear. I, I don't remember... I'm not sure who or when they encounter Shinkichi in this case. Yeah, I don't know, because, I mean, this is where all monsters are loose. Yeah, so we've got... So it could be a form of mimic monster. Oh, it could be. So now we've got um, people trying to escape. I think the thug leader and Tajiyama, I think, are are at the spot where they are trying to escape. And they're at the spot where they killed Jinbei. And the spooky pond has eyes. And we have a giant um, red-haired woman face with a huge grin that looks like i can't think of who it looks like but it looks like a specific celebrity that i can't place right now yeah i'm not sure i can't remember uh but like it really cool i i love the flying face yeah and it's it's huge like it takes up the entire sky and this guy keeps trying to stab it with his sword and he does stab it and he twists the blade but it turns out he was stabbing his buddy (laughs) <laughs> and then Classic he ghost trick yep and then he uh falls on his knife yeah and, and i think that's the end of tajiyama and the leader of the thugs yeah pretty much that's it and then we go to the uh the magistrate the one who's behind everything 
And the samurai is about to go and do his business with the magistrate, but but the magistrate's uh, kind of busy. He's busy dealing with a yokai party in his house. Yokai conga line. Oh, there are. And here's where it is. There is so many yokai. Like, you cannot keep track of them. You can't. You can barely see them because it's all dark and there's smoke. But you know that they're there and there's cool costumes. It's like, man, what's this guy's story? What's that guy's story? Um, Oh, hey, there's an umbrella guy. There's a snake lady. Oh, what's this dude's story? What's with that little guy that looks like a penis? Little walking penis. Yeah, little walking penis. There's uh, there's so many little monsters, and I want to know about all of them. And it, there's just like there's like this cartwheeling uh, Bigfoot. I mean, it certainly delivers. You you get so many monsters finally at the end, but like there could really there, be a hundred monsters. Yeah, in that scene, like we we needed better monster distribution. Yeah, like they front loaded all the human bullshit with just enough monsters to remind us there's going to be monsters. Yeah. Yeah. So. But these scenes of all the monsters are so fucking rad because there's so many of them and they all look so incredibly cool. Like we even have the ones that we saw earlier in the mix. Yep. Yep. And, And then we find out that the samurai, like people had asked him before and I kind of glossed over it because it didn't really pay off the way i thought it would it's like oh you're just i'm just a masterless samurai is that all you are so you know you think he's gonna be a yokai no no he's internal affairs investigating this magistrate's corruption but the man when he finds the magistrate he's like huddled huddled up into a ball in a corner pissing himself yeah he's been terrorized terrorized by a hundred yokai and the guy's like also you're under arrest for all this shit he's like I just got terrorized by yokai. I don't fucking care about this human bullshit anymore. And he kills himself. Yep. And that's, and then uh, we have the yokai conga line, presumably taking him into the afterlife. I, I would guess will so. Continue to be just tortured. Into like a, a black void, just an yeah. endless black void. Yeah. We, we don't know what's going to happen to him, but I don't think it's good. Maybe he'll be a new yokai. Yeah, Maybe. Or maybe he's just yokai food. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they got to eat too. But yeah, it really is like probably about 10 or 20 minutes of just a hundred different yokai terrorizing this man who really does deserve worse. Oh, it's great. I, I love the all out yokai action of the last 20 minutes. And I'm totally satisfied by that when you get to that point. But like, I oh, really wanted some more stories. Really wanted some more stories. I wanted to know yeah. more about them. I wanted like more than one of the or more than two of the 100 stories. Yeah. We only get like, like, yeah, we only get about five or six of the 100 monsters. Uh, only learn about two of them. And uh, yeah, most of them just show up at the end like, hey, if you stick with the franchise, you might learn what I'm all about. It's a classic Marvel strategy. It's like Nick Fury showing up at the end. It's like, oh, we're getting the whole gang together in the next movie, though. You got to show up and get the ticket for that one, baby. Uh, well. But, it, you know, they got me. I'm I'm totally into seeing the other oh, one. Yeah. The next one's called Spook Warfare. <laughs> oh, my God. It's got to yeah. deliver a bit more. So maybe maybe this was like the plan and this was just 
the big thing to establish the yokai, but I just I really wish it was that the whole movie was just the dude telling the stories at the party and then it ends with them terrorizing the shitty landlord. Yeah, and it totally would have worked. I, I feel like we did not need anywhere near as much of the setup for the human story because it's such a simple and emblematic one. It's like, yeah, this is an awful landlord who's driving people out of their home for no good reason. Yeah, I mean, we've heard this story a thousand times. How many times have we covered this exact story on our show? Yeah, it's it's like we don't need to see Bruce Wayne's parents die anymore. It's like, it's fine. Just give us more stories. I want more yeah. stories. Yep, but yep. Nevertheless, I did like this, and I love the way it looks. I love the designs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually going to look now, because I couldn't place when this was made. Uh, late the, uh, 60s, early 60s. Oh, shit. Because the animation on the uh, the cartoon Umbrella Monster was pretty good. Yeah. Like, it was quality stuff. Yeah. So I, I thought it might be newer. No, but I, th- no I, I think I think you're right, though. Something... I can't remember uh, exactly. Yeah, I've got it here, but it doesn't really say. Well, Spook Warfare is copyright 1968, so. Okay, so yeah, probably like 67. So yeah, probably around Which there. Both of our For films. For 67, that. looks really good. Because yes. this looks like an 80s Jim Henson production. Yeah, it's really impressive. The, they really put a lot of care into the effects and designs of each of the yokai. I mean, all of them are symbolic of something in a real folk tradition, which is why I just ache to see more of them. Uh, know, so right? yeah, looking forward to more of them in the sequels for sure. I recognized one of them. It was an Oni. Ooh. Uh, are jerks. <laughs> a lot of these are probably real jerks. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of their point. It's it's the 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 function they serve within the spirit world mm-hmm. to be just the little stinkers of the spirit world. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, so are we ready to move on into our last part? Uh, yes, we are. All righty. All right. And for part three, where we talk about the other movies eligible for uh, watching next week bunch of stuff that i've watched i watched just a just a ton of crap this past oh, we're week. on page three now we've got so many pages the, the, this week was a really shitty weekend weather-wise uh, the superstorm washed out most of bc's highways so i watched oh, just a ton yeah. of movies <laughs> stayed indoors yeah we're uh, kind of cut off from the rest of the world right now it's very strange. Uh, people have been panic buying, which is, you know, always stupid and annoying. Uh, but yeah, you know. Got to get gas for all those places you can't drive to because there's no roads. Right? Just people are bloody stupid. And of course, gas is the one thing that just isn't really getting into us as easily, but not from, you know, there, but from the Malahad, which, you know, is much less washed out and is kind of already fixed. But geez, guys. Anyway, it still looked like a water slide for a while. Well, yeah. But yes. Anyway, uh, first up that I watched, or I guess kind of first two that I watched is I, I did a double bill of Octoman and The Cremators, which uh, are, are a double feature because they're, they're both by the same filmmaker, Harry Essex, who uh, is best known for writing Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay. And uh, these are much worse, but they're kind of the same movie. 
and kind of the same movie as Creature from the Black Lagoon. They're all sort of the same storyline. Uh, so Octoman uh, has very early effects by Rick Baker and pretty cool design for Octoman himself. He's, you know, he's an octopus guy. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and it's these scientists who are studying nuclear fallout, and they find these little Moblin-like things. Do you remember Moblins? Oh, I remember Moblins. Yeah, they're basically exactly like Moblins, but a bright green. Uh, and they turn out to be the Octoman's babies, so the Octoman comes and tears them to shit. And that's sort of the, what the movie is, you know, similar to you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon coming out of the Black Lagoon and attacking the scientists studying there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the cremators is, uh, you know, same thing. You got, I don't know if they're scientists or just people in the area uh, who are annoying, but there are these rolling incineration balls. Like there are these just globes that, and it's one really cool effect where they rise out of a hole in the lake. Just this, this giant burning orb and then they just, you know, roll around the countryside and they don't light anything on fire except when they encounter a person, they'll just turn them to dust instantly. Nice, nice. Uh, and yeah, it's the same thing. Like, it's trying to get back all of these little bits that are pieces of a meteorite that it came from. So sort of like the same vengeful mommy concept, except it's a rolling incineration ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, both pretty fun, but very cheap. And uh, they're they only have the one effect and they kind of don't have much else around it. Oh, okay. And it's the same story both times. Oh. <laughs> okay. And uh, next up is Midnight, uh, which is a film by John Russo, who's uh, the co-writer of uh, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, okay. Okay. And then he went on to make the Return of the Living Dead movies, I believe. Uh, and this is like an early 80s one, sort of a quasi-slasher, quasi-satanic panic thing. Uh, kind of a bit of everything. It's like there's this teenage girl who's running away from her drunk stepfather who's coming on to her. Uh, played by Lawrence Tierney, interestingly enough. And or she she hitches a ride into just rural Pennsylvania. She's heading for the West Coast, but uh, they these guys convince her to go to Florida because I think they're heading up on spring break or something. Uh, And they just run into a satanic murder cult in the middle of some uh, strange, tiny Pennsylvanian town. Uh, It's also titled Backwoods Massacre because it's a very Texas Chainsaw Massacre-esque film. Okay. And that was called Midnight? Midnight. Uh, Next up is Buried Alive which was a TV movie from, I think, 1990. I saw this when it originally aired when I was way too young for it. Uh, it's very Tales from the Crypty. It's uh, Tim Matheson is the main guy, and he gets drugged and buried alive by his wife and this scuzzy failed doctor that she's cheating on him with because uh, they, they want to sell his business and run away right. together. Uh, and... You know, he he gets out, you know, he's buried in like a really flimsy coffin. So he gets out and then he gets to exact his revenge on them. It's extremely Tales from the Crypt. It feels like a 90 minute Tales from the Crypt episode. Okay, it's fun. Uh, Next up, John Carpenter's Vampires, which needs a little introduction. 
I feel kind of slightly more warm to it having since uh, like in in this rewatch than uh, when we talked about it last. Uh, I, I'd say it's like 65 percent a good movie. That's better than I thought. <laughs> like the the opening 20 minutes or so are incredible where we have just them doing a raid on a vampire house and we sort of see how they've monetized the vampire killing business in a really interesting way and just sort of how vampires are treated in this universe they're not like the sexy vampires and then we no, also see were, these are like grunge like garbage vampires if i remember yeah they're they're meth vampires and uh then we also get to see just that entire team just completely get torn apart by one powerful vampire and oh yeah both of those the big sequences bad are, vampire yeah like the original vampire as it turns out which is i don't know that's kind of lame <laughs> but the, the amount of backstory feels almost parody of how convoluted backstory was in 90s movies because that was never a carpenter thing no and there's just no. so much of it in this yeah, that's true. Carpenter doesn't do backstory. Yeah, so it it felt like stupid to me how much of it there was at times, but I don't know. The and thing came from the planet Thingulom, where <laughs> they have all sorts of things. Sure. Uh, and I, I I think last week I was saying James Wood is in, is not good in this, but I would say James Woods is good in this as a character who sucks. Mm, yeah. And it, yeah, it, it, that's it not ha- big a stretch for him. No, no, it's not a stretch. It helps that the character is kind of James Woodsy, but he is great in a character, great in the role of a character that I absolutely hate. Uh, Daniel Baldwin is less good in a role of a character you're kind of supposed to like, but don't because he's also gross and bad. Cheryl Lee is really good in it uh, from Twin Peaks. Laura Palmer. Oh, oh. As the main vampire, or like the girl who's turning into a vampire over the course of the film, who they've got with them. I didn't know she was in this. Yeah, and she's really good, but, you know, she's not given a lot, and the character is not treated well, and I don't know. Mm. It's it's almost a good movie. Like, it's got a lot of that John Carpenter flavor. It's a lot more stripped down. It kind of feels like his early exploitation stuff, but it's got some bad late 90s baggage. That's about how I remember it. I, just, I think I just remember the late 90s baggage. Yeah. And Vampires James Woods. was the first John Carpenter movie I saw. Yeah. James Woods is late 90s baggage. Yeah. And he's he's the biggest problem in the movie. Uh, they had all sorts of other people in mind. They tried to get everyone and they just couldn't get them. Uh, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, guess who uh, Carpenter's top choice was? Kurt Russell. No, no. Uh, he Kurt Russell is never his top choice. He he settles oh, for really? Kurt Russell because he doesn't know how good he had it with them. Oh. No, think much bigger. Um, Robert De Niro. Clint Eastwood. Holy shit! He was not interested. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's um, always who he wants. He always wants Clint Eastwood. He wants the biggest star. He can't get Clint Eastwood. No, of course he can't. Not in John Carpenter's Vampires, please. <laughs> this is like when there's that huge glut of bad vampire movies, too. Because this oh, is like yeah. Dracula 2000, I think the same year. That's an oh, awful God. movie. Uh, next up is The Treasure of Jamaica Reef, uh, which which is 
uh, has a shark on the poster, but I'll tell you, there are no sharks in this movie. No, no shark. Oh, yeah, that is very prominently a shark on the poster. Yeah, it's 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 almost ambient cinema. It's about these treasure hunters and they rent a, a truck that's shaped like a Paul Masson wine barrel, which is super rad. Okay. And they just, you know, drive around and they're going to find these wrecks and they're going to get rich by finding these uh, ancient wrecks, which are full of sunken doubloons. Well, and of course, they always are. Yeah, and it's just this incredibly slow ambient story of just them being them doing a lot of diving. There's a lot of footage of just them wreck diving and doing real wreck diving, which is kind of totally my jam. I like those were my favorite National Geographics when I was a kid. Okay, cool. You know, the the like wreck footage of underwater stuff. I love that stuff. So that was cool, but uh, yeah, no, no sharks, <laughs> not a lot of action. Uh, just you know, they're diving for some doubloons. <laughs> Next up, we got Lady Street Fighter, and I also watched Revenge of Lady Street Fighter, but uh, we'll get to that in a sec. Why it's not on the list? Uh, Lady Street Fighter is a Renee Harmon picture. No shit, I've heard of Lady Street Fighter, and like from way, way back in the day, and I you... know from Renee Harmon because of. You, but I didn't you, know that we're the same. You've probably heard of Sister Street Fighter, which is the authentic series, which is a spinoff of uh, the Sunny Chiba Street Fighter series. Lady Street Fighter is a very obscure film uh, with Renee Harmon. I don't know if it was ever properly released, which is why Revenge of Lady Street Fighter exists. Uh, but... I mean, like, it's it's easy for it to seem like it's the same title as Sister Street Fighter, because like, Lady Street Fighter just makes sense, because that's how all of those were titled in the, in the 70s yeah, and 80s. I'm sure I've heard this before. I'm sh- I must have. It uh, definitely rings a bell, but Sister Street Fighter does not. It's true. Uh, and this is about sisters, too. This is a movie about an avenging twin sister where so renee Harmon and it's directed by james bryan who did uh don't go in the woods which is a total favorite of mine mm-hmm. uh so th- this is like the, the i think it's the start of their collaboration and then they just worked together a lot after that they just really saw eye to eye on the renee Harmon is awesome vibe and they they had a lot of fun with it so it's her as a karate street fighter expert of course. <laughs> She's frequently nude or wearing just negligee, which is weird. Sometimes fighting in it. Of course. Uh, there's an absolutely fucking incredible scene where there's this guy that she's... There's these two guys that have been harassing her for a while. And uh, she shoots one of them down. And then she has this whole car chase with the other guy. And then his car flips and he's there's gasoline leaking out everywhere. And he's like, help! oh my God, I'm surrounded by gasoline. And she like lights a match and like lights him up. And he, we we see his flaming arm raise up and give her the middle finger while he dies. <laughs> yes. So great. Uh, I absolutely love Lady Street Fighter. It's sort of the perfect Renee Harmon movie. It's got a lot of stupid action. It's completely incoherent. Everything's dubbed. You don't really get what's going on ever. There's this subplot about a tape hidden in a dog, and it, like a dog uh, stuffed animal. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And then Revenge of Lady Street Fighter was sort of a direct-to-video experiment 
it's supposed to be a sequel, but okay. 90% of it is footage from Lady Street Fighter. <laughs> like, and I'm not okay. kidding, 90%, maybe more. There, there's a handful of scenes that are added with this blindfolded girl who's being interrogated by these creepy bureaucrats, and that all seems very weird and Lynchian, honestly. And that's the only thing that's new. There's like maybe, I don't know, five minutes of that stuff. And then, All right, Lady Street Fighter, your job is – I'm the U.S. Marshal, and your job is to clear out this town, so that makes it okay. <laughs> <laughs> Revenge of Fistful of Dollars. <laughs> well, and then, like, so that, that really awesome death scene I told you about, that's the opening scene of this because it's okay. rad, yeah. which I get. But then they just have pretty much the whole rest of the movie after that. So, like, there's a whole bunch of scenes with those guys that just died. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Because, you know, they okay. were made characters for, like, a long time. And it it's totally incoherent. Like, it's just the same movie, but out of order with a handful of scenes of, like, bureaucrats droning on about mysterious garbage. Like, it's so nuts. It's like a David Lynch experiment. <laughs> I don't okay. know. Okay. It's, and, like, I, I super don't recommend watching it immediately after <laughs> Lady Street Fighter. But <laughs> it's it's probably more fun if I'd given it, like, a week or two. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, Lady Street Fighter, though, is super fun. All right. Uh, next up, Terraformars. Uh, the Takeshi Miike one. I was telling you about this on the weekend when I was watching oh, it. Oh, yeah. So the setup is the it's, it's mid-21st century, you know, now, I guess. And they send cockroaches and moss to start terraforming Mars. I feel like you might need a little bit more than that, but okay. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's maybe a little bit more to it than that, but that's the main thrust is they start a colony of moss and they start cockroaches because they're hardy enough to survive it and they can kind of start making the atmosphere livable, I guess, uh, with the moss. So, you know, you have life there. Okay, so it sure. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's This is based on a manga, and it's really, really, really based on a manga. Like, oh. you feel it every minute and every second. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it cuts forward 500 years. It's circa year 2600. Okay. And uh, we we travel to Mars. Uh, we, we have a bunch of, like, all the baddest criminals on Earth, or all the baddest criminals in Japan— have been rounded up and also one guy who's just poor <laughs> and he's he's a kickboxer and they've all been rounded up and they've been sent to mars and they're going to be the ones to exterminate the cockroaches so people can head up there and start moving out there because earth is really overpopulated and obviously they'll do it through great big anime fights on of green course. screen with uh, what turn out to be giant hulking cockroach monsters because they've super evolved in the 500 years they've been up there. Yeah, I feel like sending cockroaches might not be the best idea, but, you know. No, and like so they turn into giant monsters, and yeah, it's it's very ridiculous. It's kind of gross at times, just in, in many ways. Uh, and yeah, it's just bizarre. It's very video gamey. And as I said, it like, it's super, super manga. Like you, you see how much it was based on one in every moment. Like it feels like a sports anime, but oh. the way people, uh, have conversations, like huge declarative conversations that are expositional. 
he's powering up his spirit bomb. With the spirit bomb, the power of all the people in the world, he'll be able to defeat Frieza. Will he be able to defeat Frieza? Because Frieza's powering up something else. Hey, yeah. guys, we're trying to fight here. It's that sort of stuff. There's a lot of that, like, we'll, we'll get narration of each person's powers each time they start to power up we we get to learn what inside like so yes semi spoilers each of them has been has had their genes spliced with some earth insects to make to give them super insect powers to fight the cockroaches with <laughs> of course. oh my god i'm i'm so into this <laughs> Uh, next up is Warm Nights and Hot Pleasures, which sounds like a sexploitation film, and it was a sexploitation film, sort of, but this is a Joe Sarno film, uh, who you've probably never heard of. Uh, I don't think so. He's he's considered the Bergman of sexploitation, because, like, it, what his thing was he would make these sexploitation films and they would be about sexploitation situations but they're much more interested in the psychological background and impacts of it all okay okay so yeah they're they're very unusual films they're they're kind of about suburban alienation a lot of the time uh this one's his second movie it's you know very typical story about three girls moving to the big city new york to become dancers and you know they know they get involved in pornography or they get involved with shady people one of them becomes a topless dancer or becomes a dancer in a uh where where she dances for tips in a bar and she's dating the manager who's married of course all of that sort of stuff uh but it's it's super interesting and just like it it actually kind of deals seriously with people's emotions and it's not stigmatizing any of the sexuality no it's it's very unusual cool interesting all right uh nowhere near as good as his previous one this is just like a bonus feature on the set uh the previous movie sin in the suburbs just mind-bending about like a sex cult in the suburbs and <laughs> the these the the bizarre trajectories of like this teenage this this young teenage girl who is discovering uh that she is a lesbian and it's like circa 1960 so they couldn't even say any of these things so like oh. it's just all very heavily hinted and but it's this exploitation movie so it's i don't know it's it's a bizarre thing totally fascinating work all right uh next up invaders from mars which is the toby hooper remake of the 50s classic i've definitely seen an invaders from mars so maybe this one it, it was like a big 80s film it was kind of a marketed toward kids 80s film so it's like this kid is looking out his back window one night at the backyard and he sees this huge alien craft land and he okay. goes to tell his dad and he's like, you know, he's, he's terrified, but they come and look and they don't see it. And then his dad goes to investigate and his dad comes back and he's been taken over by the aliens and he takes the mom back over there and then the mom is infested and, you know, just everyone in his life starts to be taken over by aliens. Uh, and notably, a lot of the designs from this, like a huge amount of the alien designs and the alien ship designs were used in Duke Nukem 3D. Like it's one of the main influences on it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like I was really surprised to see it because I've, you know, I played the shit out of that game and I never saw oh, this yeah. as a kid. See, I thought the only thing that Duke, well, Duke Nukem 
didn't have anything original. Whatever he did, <laughs> I, I, see, I figured he stole all his lines from Army of Darkness. But then there's did. some from They Live. There's a, there's also some They Live stuff. Oh, you're right, you're right, because he does uh, want to kick the chew ass bubble and chew bubble gum. Bubble gum. Yep. That's that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Those games were shit. I really enjoyed that one. I, I played it. I liked it at the, the hell time. But, I don't know if, but yeah, I mean, like it's games have evolved since then. Oh yeah. But like, I, I appreciate how much the design borrows from all sorts of old classic pulp movies and like how much seeing, like it was clear that this one was a major influence on the designs of some of the levels in that game. Hmm. Uh, and next one or last one is the amazing Mr. X. Uh, which I, I talked a bit about this last week, that it's noted for having really great cinematography, and it really does. It's uh, really beautiful looking, uh, very inventive, a lot of cool shots from below glass objects to kind of look up at people through tables and stuff. Uh, it's about this sham spiritualist who latches onto these two sisters, and they're both kind of weird. One of them is mourning her dead husband who died a year ago, and the other one's just really immature. And uh, they both just are, get totally taken in by this guy. Uh, and yeah, it's it's interesting. Just sort of a spooky, atmospheric, East Coast Gothic thing. Or sorry, West Coast uh, seaside Gothic kind of thing. It's cool. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So from those, I think I already know what you're going to pick. But uh, what do you, you, what do you probably think? do. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Bugs anime fight Mars. I Terraform mean, Mars, yeah. <laughs> I figured it kind of had to be that one. Like, the, the poster didn't do anything for me, but hearing you describe it, uh, yeah, I think I think that's what we're going to go with. All right, yeah, it's it's weird as balls, and there is definitely a lot to talk about with it, for sure. Cool, cool. <laughs> it's not well-liked. This is a movie with a pretty negative reputation, and I sort of get where people are coming from, but the level of craziness and just how deeply indebted it is to its manga roots is really fun. And it kind of feels in keeping with some of the other Mikkei stuff that we've talked about or that we've watched, like the Dead or Alive films, especially like Dead or Alive 2. There's a lot of that in here. Oh, it's that? I could never get the Takeshi's. That's the same guy. Yeah, that's Mikkei. Okay. Yeah, same guy. So him doing this. Oh, boy. I, I thought it was the other one. Okay, well, that's all right. <laughs> I like this one. All right. Uh, so in terms of new additions to the stacks, uh, we have first Figures in a Landscape, which, uh, as maybe suggested by the title, it's this sort of weird existential thriller. Okay. Where uh, Robert Shaw and Malcolm McDowell are just running away through this harsh landscape pursued by this guy in a black helicopter. And we don't know where they come from or why or why this guy's chasing them or what any of it's about. It's just this guy chasing them down through this harsh wilderness. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember it being really great and just kind of fascinating, a very minimalist thriller movie. Uh, next up, Shallow Grave, which is these college kids who are on a road trip. They witness a sheriff. I think, I, like, I don't know if they witnessed the murder or just him burying his wife after murdering her. Right. And then obviously, you know, they're being hunted down by this small town sheriff who controls the area. Of course. Uh, I have not seen that one either. Uh, 
sounds like a, a really harsh exploitation film. It's a new one from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, Grunt, the wrestling movie. <laughs> which All right. Is, uh, th- this is sort of like a quasi mockumentary from like the dawn of pro wrestling as like a mainstream thing, like early 80s. Oh, okay. Interesting. Before it became what pro wrestling turned into. Yeah. So this is like I, there's an accidental beheading in the ring. And then like a little bit later, this mysterious masked wrestler shows up uh, who's maybe or probably the guy who did the beheading and ran away uh, back to reclaim his title, I guess. And it's sort of like framed as a mockumentary. It sounds like it should be, you know, kind of fun, <laughs> probably very goofy. Uh, next up, Ghosts of Mars, the last Carpenter that I have not seen. Uh, Ice oh, Cube boy. is quoted. I don't like that movie <laughs> on the Wikipedia page. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never seen it. I, I didn't see any of that wave of Mars movies. There was just a whole bunch of them circa 2001, 2002. Yeah, there were a few, weren't there? Yeah, I don't think I saw any of them. Just not my thing. Uh, but well, I'll see this enough. one now. Yep. And I might, too. But yeah, we'll maybe. see. Uh, next up, The Incredible Shrinking Man. Another classic existential film. It's about, you know, classic sci-fi one. Uh, very famous early or mid-50s. I think it's like 57. You know, this dude who kind of feels small in his life gets exposed to this cloud of radiation. And he just starts shrinking. And he just keeps shrinking and he keeps shrinking and keeps shrinking. Okay. Until he's just nothing left? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he has to deal with all the problems of getting gradually smaller. Yeah, it's it's fascinating movie. It's absolutely great. Written by Richard Matheson, who wrote a lot of classic Twilight Zone episodes. Cool, cool. Uh, next up is The American Friend, uh, which is Dennis Hopper as Tom Ripley. Uh, did you ever see The Talented Mr. Ripley? I never did. It's the same character. There's this Tom Ripley. He was in a whole bunch of Patricia Highsmith novels. Uh, And this one is based on Ripley's Game, which is also made into a movie much later with uh, John Malkovich and and the same character that Hopper's playing, which is weird. Uh, But this one, it's uh, Hopper is this guy who he's this Tom Ripley who's this weird drifter who gets people into bad situations and seems to be involved in all manner of crime and just uses people towards obscure ends and there he meets this guy who's terminally ill and he convinces him to like he sort of suggests him as a killer for someone like to to use as a hitman since he's dying just to get the money for him and it just okay. spirals out of control into a whole crazy thing i haven't seen it in a while but i remember it being really interesting uh and last edition is tourist trap <clears throat> which is about this guy who has psychokinetic powers and he has this literal tourist trap where you know it's it's an attraction or like a roadside attraction full of mannequins but he's a psychokinetic and he uses the mannequins to attack tourists oh jesus yeah that sounds oh. uh, that could be scary yeah that sounds pretty rad honestly i i've never seen this one but it's kind of supposed to be a minor horror classic looking forward to finally getting that all right so uh that's all of them what do you figure for next week well i was 
I was looking at Ghosts of Mars as kind of a companion to the other Mars movie that we're going to be watching, but I don't know. You you might want me to vet it first. <laughs> I might want you to vet it first. Um, yeah, so I'm looking at the list here, and what do you, is there anything on here that you think would be a contrast to uh, Terraform Mars? I mean, pretty much anything would be a contrast to Terraform Mars. That's a bizarre film. All right. All right. Well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I like. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> nothing I, nothing like, in there is really like it, huh? Yeah, no, it's it's a very strange movie. Like probably Tokyo Fist would be a, would potentially be a similar heightened vibe in, in terms of what we've seen from the previous Tsukamoto movies. But uh, like, yeah, that's yeah. true. So in in terms of similar to that, uh, maybe that. But yeah, no, I, I everything's going to be pretty different from it, I think. Well, we we haven't done Sukamoto in a few weeks, and I did I did we did briefly discuss Tokyo Fist, possibly watching it last week. So why we don't did. we do that one? All right. Uh, so Tokyo Fist, uh, which is Sukamoto's boxing movie about. You know, a, a guy who becomes a boxer and then he has to train really rigorously and become super, uh, which uh, I, I'm going to guess maybe maybe this one he doesn't actually turn into a machine in the doing thereof. Uh, maybe he does. <laughs> maybe, maybe he does. Becomes a boxing machine. <laughs> the who box- knows? We're going to find out. We will find out next week in the stacks. <laughs> so keep uh, watching them. Oh, yeah, oh, keep oh watching. not yet. No, I don't have anything further to say to you. Oh, okay. No, that was good. (laughs) All right. Peace, y'all.